A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pole Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob D, the Dead Pole Hitter. Welcome to another fantasy baseball team breakdown um, that we've been doing, me and Mr. Ryan Roof. He's back in action to go over the Boston Red Sox. And also, we brought the number one Boston Red Sox fan in the world on to Mr. Three Podcast in One Week fame, Mr. Jason DuPont. Um, how are you guys doing on this Saturday? Thank you for joining me. And let's get ready to talk some fantasy. Yeah, first first of all, Rob, uh, congrats on episode 150. Thank Kudos you. To you. That's pretty pretty cool milestone. Uh, Thank does you. It, does it feel like 100? You've recorded 150 times? I have not. No? I have not. And my wife, she like occasionally throws on my pod and has no idea what we're talking about, but she likes to critique, give me some critique. Um, so she told me like, I can't believe you're at 150 and do, didn't do anything like super special or announce it. And I said, it's just, it's like Kobe, it's just on next game, next challenge, you know, I, I want to, but I have to do a better job. So little reflection because it is, it is cool. I started out as a, a hobby, a way to keep my mind clear of a lot of negativity I was going on at the time and a lot of stress and um, just grateful that happened to win the overall and a bunch of people ended up starting listening to this little meatball from Brooklyn talk about fantasy baseball so I'm super grateful and but more grateful that I get to talk to brilliant people uh, and like-minded people like you guys every day so but yeah thanks Ryan it's it's pretty cool I'm pretty happy about it yeah, no problem. I'm I'm pumped to to talk to Jason about the Red Sox. Big, I mean, talk about fandom. Like, I feel like I'm a crappy Guardians fan just because like I barely ever go to games and have nothing in my room hung up about the Guardians at all. So I'm pumped <laughs> about this. So thanks for joining us, Jason. Yeah, Jason. Thank you, man. What's up? Yeah, man. You're still good in my book, uh, Ryan. As long as you're not a Yankees fan, so uh, <laughs> don't worry about the no. fandom. I know I'm a little intense, but. Uh, Great to join you guys. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite uh, podcasts. Guys bring on great players. You deep dive. You don't have the standard agenda that other podcasts do. Um, so it's a treat. And uh, it's almost like thanking you for all the great uh, information you've been giving me throughout the years. So uh, happy to join you guys and talk about a topic very near and dear. It's been a pretty interesting offseason, to say the least. I would describe it as chaotic um even though i'm not terribly concerned um you know there's a lot of chaos in the streets of uh the red sox right now so happy to talk to you guys yeah man um you've had a busy week too you've been on two of my other 
favorite podcast, the Draft Champion podcast with Zach Waxman, and you guys um, talked with Gecko, Mark Zerebro, and that was just fascinating. Um, and Mark stayed true to his word, kept it tight, kept it, uh, you know, like an hour, an hour and 10. I know he doesn't like the long pods, you know, but I will let him know that my top three pods ever all were longer than his. So that's for you, Mark, if you're listening or if you shut it off already. Um, but, and then you hopped on the, my new favorite pod, the In The Cut podcast with our friends, John Fish and Ryan Venantio. Um, And you guys had a great talk with John Johnny L, MLB Moving Averages, uh, which was a great, great, great idea by Fish and Ryan to do that kind of um, clash in a different manner, like talking about, and that's what I want to do more too. Like they inspired me. I haven't written down, but now they really inspired me to like do more baseball stuff too. Cause you know, we're so immersed in it and it doesn't always have to be fantasy. It could be stuff that like you guys talked about, um, events that you went to games, specific moments in games and that feeling you get during those games. So, um, you've had a busy week, man. And, uh, I'm just, I, I'm just happy because I respect the way you think, I think I told you, you're super confident when you talk and you're really like, you have your points and you hit them and you sound so confident about it. And I love that. And I think that's important about in playing and also like speaking about it as well. So it's good to yeah, hear Yeah, no, man. thanks. It's, uh, it's been uh, fun. I think I have a tough time saying no to my friends when they uh, ask me. Um, I might be done now until the live drafts though. So <laughs> is, uh, I saved this one for you. Um, Thank you, not buddy. Not that I think people are, chasing my picks. I'm not Phil. I'm not Mark. Um, there's certain players that move markets, but uh, again, happy to have this conversation today. I'm an open book. I'm probably too honest during these conversations. So, um, but uh, happy to join you. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. So we're going to hit the uh, Boston Red Sox 78 and 84 last year. Um, I heard you on the podcast last night talking about that. You're not really disappointed in what they've done. And I liked your angle on it. I've kind of felt the same way in analyzing what they've been doing. Um, because like you noted, the farm system really looks exciting. And they didn't really have to, you know, force the keep on Bogarts as much as he was a great Red Sox to, you know, keep this momentum going forward. Like you said, they're not afraid to take that year, maybe year and a half off to recharge and retool. And um, a lot of things I think may have to go smooth like really well but they i think they're gonna be a better team than a lot of people are expecting them to is that what you feel obviously yeah and again it's the the, the typical red sox fan it's 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 year to year uh fly by night but if, if anyone actually goes back to when bloom was hired at the end of uh, 2019 if you listen to his comments for his vision for the organization He's followed through. I mean, he came in, I want to say it was a tough time, but the farm system was a little bit stripped. Um, you know, they were heading into 2020 and he said, it's going to take a little bit of time. We got to build the farm system up again. When the time is right, you know, we'll use those resources. Um, we'll make investments in the team. And, you know, I think philosophically, uh, he hasn't been BSing anybody. But um, yeah, again, and, you know, from as a player, I, I'm actually happy that people are really down on the Red Sox. But I look at it this way. It's not a perfect roster. Um, I think the bullpen is very good. And no one's talking about that. I think the lineup is way better than people are expecting. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's like a top five lineup in the American League. Um, I think just people are underestimating some players who might have not have done it before. And with the starting pitching, they're going to live and die with the pitching. And I get it. If they had kind of a prototypical number two, it'd be a lot more exciting. 
but they have a lot more depth with starting pitching and they have a lot of exciting young arms that are ready right now that they haven't had that in the multiple years. So I think the future is very, very, very bright on the team and uh, um, we'll take it from there. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, we'll start right off with catcher um, at the catcher spot. Um, Jason too. Um, I don't know if you've been following, but we're just trying to, we'll hit on some of the guys maybe that have some flag that we see that are being drafted at the top. Obviously we don't have to worry about that with the Red Sox because they don't have any flags to you. So <laughs> we've got to ask you about that, but they do have three guys going inside the top 150 and uh, Canley um, Devers and story is still listed, but obviously he's going to fall out. I think a little bit, maybe we could discuss maybe if you think he's worth even a late round stab at draft champions. But I think with Devers and Jansen, they're, they're guys that um, I think are pretty much, the most bankable stat you can get out of guys, right? They're they're just easy plug and plays um, at this spot. There's no questions, I think, in what we have, what they can do, and and the production they have. I think we can probably agree with that. So, um, I wanted to hit the catcher spot and get your thoughts on um, what's going on over here. Is there any value to be had here for draft champions, and um, or maybe is there more value in the catcher spot um, in a fab league? Yeah. And actually, looking back at last year towards the end of the year, I was very comfortable with the uh, Reese McGuire and Connor Wong duo. I actually thought in the offseason, they don't need to do anything. Um, The way I look at catching and more as a fan is that I want the catcher to work well with the pitching staff. That's first and foremost. Look at the dynasty in baseball. uh, Martin Maldonado, a 160 catcher, who is the (laughs) Astros catcher. So to me as a fan, I know in fantasy, we look at the bat, we look at the bat, and that's important. But, um, you know, if we talk about McGuire, um, and I thought that was a nice little under-the-radar move, Jake Diekman for uh, Reese McGuire. I know it's not exciting for Roto, but defensively, he was extremely impressive. Um, He's got a cannon for an arm, fourth in baseball since uh, 2020 with throwing out runners. And if the stolen base changes, increase uh, speed in this game, that's going to obviously be a lot more important. And from the bat perspective, um, great contact, low strikeouts. Perfect. I just don't want an automatic out in the lineup. Uh, and I love his spray chart. It's all over the place. Uh, he doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't hit the ball to one particular spot. So I think Reese McGuire is going to get a ton of play. Um, and to me, from a Roto perspective, in a fab league, he's the type of guy you stream, you pick up for a week or two, you might yep. drop. In DCs, I think he's a fine play, but you might be using him at the beginning of the week or the end of the week if he's starting that first game, if you wait on catcher. Ideally, he's your third catcher in a DC. I mean, I think that's ideal. Yep. Um, Connor Wong is the most exciting of all of them to me, though. Um, maybe a little more long-term, though. I think there is some PT concerns here, uh, and I'll explain that in a moment. But, you know, offensively, uh, Wong's very unique, and he's got a little pop in his bat. Uh, he had a... Again, I know this is a small sample, but uh, last year in 16 games in August, he had nine home runs and a 1.3 OPS. He's a terrific athlete. You know, he can sneak in some stolen bases as well. And again, I think he's got some pop um, and he's also good on the defensive side as well. He does have one minor league option. Um, and in terms of catching depth in the organization, that was pretty much it. So they had to add another catcher. And that's where the Alfaro uh, signing comes into play. Minor league deal, but I do think Alfaro is going to be part of this as well. And that's where I think it makes it tricky for uh, playing time. Um, they Alfaro and his deal has uh, an opt-out June 1st or July 1st, if he's not up by that time. So they could, um, 
you know, potentially go Wong or Alfaro at the start, but they can't send Alfaro down or they'll he'll be subject to waivers. So I'm just not certain which way that's going to go. I mean, I know Wong will be up there at some point. So I think in a DC, he's an absolute fine play. But I think there's going to be a rotation amongst all of these. Um, but from a fantasy perspective, like I said, I'll go back to Wong being the most exciting of all of these. What about you, Ruth? You have um, any of these guys yet rostered on your team or if you have any interest in them this year in fantasy? Yep. Uh, both both guys, McGuire and Wong, I have rostered in DCs. I think DCs are, you know, perfect catcher threes types uh, for sure. Uh, if you look at the, the projections, the um, both the bad X and ATC have have McGuire for about 54 to 56% of the, the, the starts behind the plate for the Red Sox. But the rest going to uh, to Wong. They they haven't the projections haven't factored uh, Alfaro in, but um, yet yeah, for for at least under the Boston uh, team. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think you know. It, do you think uh, Jason, if um, Wong has like a tough spring, like he starts in AAA, or do you think it's dependent on spring performance for him? And what they do with uh, I Alfaro do because I just know Alfaro has to be up sometime from opening day to June one. And it's not like yeah. they need to save Alfaro and they'd be devastated if they lost him in the organization. But I just think he fits well with these two other catchers. I mean, obviously, Alfaro is a flawed player. He hits the ball harder than anyone. He's got massive power if he connects. He's got a cannon for an arm, but he swings at everything and strikes out a ton. So, you know, he's got a very interesting profile. But um, hey, for a minor league deal where and, 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 you know, the other option, which I don't see happening is they could cut him and not be on the hook for him at all. So they have tons of options um, with him. Um, you know, again, I think the ideal combo is Maguire Wong, but you just have to think of the depth. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get injured. So um, like, as I said, I'm just concerned early on about the PT. I think the safest of all of these is Reese Maguire for PT to start the year. Yeah, I agree. I think um I think too they they acquired Ronaldo Hernandez. You know, uh he's he's been in AAA um last couple of years for the Red Sox. Maybe if um uh, you know he performs, you know, think they they think he's ready, maybe he maybe they just cut Alfaro and they just kind of roll with Hernandez and and Wong as kind of the the second catcher, but um yeah, I think I think all these targets are, are are real nice for draft champions for sure, and streamable in fab leagues. Yeah, I um so Reese Reese McGuire here, um like you mentioned, Jason, great contact rate. He was the highest, eleventh highest max EV gainer in all of baseball from their previous career high to last year's career high. So his previous career high was one hundred seven five. He went to one hundred nine six. So, um, not that that's a tell all metric, but you could tell that. Obviously, he still had some more in the tank there. Um, doesn't mean it's going to go up, but still, that's a good number. Um, and like you said, with a guy who doesn't strike out and hits the ball a lot, so obviously, with more contact, you have more ability to do damage, you know, um, on it. Um, Wong, like I DM'd you guys in our chat, I just couldn't believe. I, I remember him last year as being a guy I was interested in, Fab, and he was constantly in my bids if uh, in my second league where I just didn't I had a revolving door of catcher. And um, I didn't know he had the 13th fastest arm for a catcher. Pop time is actually faster than McGuire's. Um, but he he's got he's got a bunch of power. It's a small sample size, but his exit velocity on fly balls is 100.3, which if he qualified for plate appearances would have been 100th percentile. It's 88th percentile on sprint speed. Um 
he had a ton of ground balls, but he could make good contact in the zone. Um, and what I found interesting in that um, he outstarted Maguire 16 games to 13 games from September 2nd on to the rest of the season. And nine of those 22 starts were versus righties, you know, so he's, I think they definitely have confidence in him to face either left-handed or right-handed. Um, and so he, I had him aggregated in my sheet and then I threw it into the SGP and at his, um, even at his 250 plate appearance, you know, I think maybe that was again, like you said, before the Alfaro um, trade. But <clears throat> if I do him out to 350, he comes out to like 10 homers and five stolen bases. And it puts him like ahead of the Christian Vasquez range of catchers. So just goes to show you that even the projection system believe in on a plate appearance level, his upside, you know? So I'm excited for him um, possibly coming up maybe in June. And it's still a good play, I think, even in, in a draft champion, because it's, um, it's not all about who you have to start the season, right? Um, you gotta, you have to look at second half type of rookies that might come up. Um, you know, just always looking at the full season rather than just at the start. But yeah, you know, Alfaro does hammer the ball. His problem is he pulls um fifty percent of his balls into the ground. He only has a thirteen percent fly ball pull fly ball rate. So with the monster and with that one fifteen max EV, if they could just find a way to, you know pull the ball a little more. Obviously it's the best pathway for power and outcome, but at Fenway, you know, so at first I was just mad at Alfaro for signing and ruining the Connor Wong. But now like I see, but that's not easy to do. It's not just easy to say, Hey buddy, you know, start pulling the ball more. It doesn't work as easy as that against major league pitchers. But um, first base. Hold on. What before you... we go, before we oh. go first, Wong, um, Played some second in the minors. He, had, he appeared there a couple games last year. In Tell the me more. Too. So, you know, there's uh, we'll talk about second base shortly. But I just thought that was that was interesting that that he's a little bit versatile defensively. I like that. Yeah, I guess he must be with that 88th percentile like sprint speed. You know, he, he's an athlete. That's what they say. He's an athlete, which was it's funny. Um, another uh, had a had a good conversation with our friend Ryan. Benancio and um he said he told me a story and it was funny because it triggered a memory of mine, like a group of me and my friend, where um every time we did something and someone said, Oh wow, that was good. And you our answer would be like, Well, I'm an athlete. You know, like that was the anything it was, it couldn't even been an athletic move, but that was the response to everything. Well, I'm an athlete, you know, because if you're athletic, you could do most things. But Ryan said the same thing. And it was funny because you know, I just met him and we had the same conversation with other friends, you know, about this like same topic. It was it was pretty funny. Um, all right. So let's go on the first base. Tristan Casas, ADP 244 since January 1st. Is he going to be ready for this full time first base run or um, does he platoon with Dahlbeck? What are you expecting from him on the season, Jason? Um, I heard you mention on the podcast, like with John and. John and Ryan that not every rookie or not every player on a team has to do the best or something like that along those lines. And it got me thinking about rookies too. Like we don't, you don't need him to be, you know, a 25 280 hitter instantly. He just has to be productive enough to contribute to the overall team. And I think like when you look at those things in realistic, you know, like lenses, um, 
it's much easier to like keep your expectancy to prospects a little, you know, more realistic, I guess. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of his PT, I mean, I, I, well, first of all, just, I love his patience at the plate. He's a yep. different hitter. Young kids don't look like him. Um, almost reminds me a little of Kevin Euclid. Obviously he's got the huge uh, walk rate and that will continue, but he's got such a presence in uh, command of the zone. Um, you know, so I do think he's the guy that, you know, will take easily take the walk. I know that can be frustrating for fantasy. JD drew used to always get grilled for that. Um, but he was a damn good player. And obviously Casas has more power than JD drew. Um, but I do think that the platoon risk, uh, it, it is real. I can't avoid it. And especially it's not the Bobby barrels risk. Um, first off, I am not hundred percent certain if Dahlbeck is on the team to start. Um, I still think the Red Sox may potentially make a trade. Not that Dahlbeck would be a headline. He could be a third piece. Um, but Justin Turner, when he signed here, um, primarily DH and backup first baseman was kind of what I heard. So I think it's Turner that could take some of the bats. And, you know, at the end of the year, Cassis did sit versus some lefties. Now, as a fan, you know, I think Cassis is a good enough hitter and smart enough hitter where he can figure it out. And I want him playing every day. But what I want is not necessarily how it's going to work. Um, Red Sox aren't one of those platoon teams, you know, like the Giants or Tampa. But Bloom is a Tampa guy, of course. So I think it's a real risk. Uh, and again, I think it's the Turner move that kind of turned me to that. Um, but stuff happens. People get hurt. Opportunities open. So I'm not going to be shocked if they kind of give him full run because I just don't want to shut him off first lefties. You know, if you look at his numbers last year, minors and majors, you know, there was obviously a disparity, especially in the power side, lefty to righty. So it'll be interesting to see. I think long-term he's going to be phenomenal and the next great star of Boston. Um, but obviously we're talking about 2023 and um, he just might not get the same exact volume as, you know, the first baseman going above him. I like that call. Do you guys, um, Ryan, do you have um, any of him in your drafts yet? I do. Yeah. Um, mm, all right. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm intrigued for sure. Um, and like when, it. you know, someone that young can is so patient at the plate, it's just, it's, it's, it is very, very tantalizing. Um, so, you know, where, where does he, where does he hit in the lineup? Um, you know, now that they added Turner, um, you know, that's, that's the thing is like how many plate appearances is he going to get, you know, where is he going to hit in the lineup, you know, plate appearances per game type thing. So, what do you guys think? What do you think, Jason? I, if I was making the lineup out, I'd have him probably as high as fifth in the lineup. I just, I love the OBP. I think, you know, the thing that the game misses today is on base percentage. Everybody's grip it and rip it. And I get it. You know, you don't want to see pitches. Uh, pitchers are nasty, but this is a guy that has a monster walk rate that is sustainable. So I don't want that at the bottom of the order. So, you know, I, again, I wouldn't have two lefties in a row with him, but if they can split it, so it's like Turner in front of him and then he's next, that's how I'd prefer to go. Yeah. Maybe almost even Casas up, you know, like um, up fifth after Turner batting cleanup. And then you can go Duval then Verdugo if you want to split up the righty lefty. Um, but I'm, yeah, I mean, you talk about the OBP, you know, the projected, you know, BP of the lineup is pretty solid. Hoshida's 388. Kike is a little low, 310, but 345. Devers, 343. Turner, 338. Um, Verdugo, 350. Casa. So that's a nice little on-base on, on machine team that you could possibly have there. I I think that um, 
it's funny because I was looking at some player comps and um, I pulled up my projection aggregator. And I was just looking at power profiles by him in ADP. And so I put in Jock Peterson's name and it was crazy. I sent you guys the picture, but um, over five projection systems aggregated for 507, 507 plate appearances for Casas, 508 for Jock. Um, 17 homers for Casas, 22 for Jock, but 62, 63 runs, 60, 67 ribbies, stolen bases, 3-3, batting average, 242, 241, OBP, pretty close, 340, 331, strikeout walk rate, pretty much the same. It's pretty, pretty interesting profile. And if we have, you know, if, if he hits that, that's, that's a pretty solid player, you know, especially, especially at the corner. Yeah, for I sure. Think- that's a that's an interesting comparison uh, with Jock. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, and it, and if you look at the projections too, like the the different uh, projections site or, or sources do kind of view him a little bit differently in terms of OEP. I mean, last year in a small sample, it was you know granted it was only you know twenty seven games, but you know three fifty eight OBP. Um, all all three of the the projection systems that are that are up on Fangraphs now don't have him higher than 351. Uh, I think Seamer's the highest on him at 351, ATC's at 338, and the Bad X has him for for two or sorry, 326. Might be a little low. Um, and, yeah. And 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 I won't I don't normally throw numbers that are behind the paywall, but this is too special because I think this is great. The most opportunistic projection system right now for Casas. And I think this might be a little homer pick on this mr is, todd you got zola. my projections <laughs> well no i don't have yours i just have todd zola's um and he is super he's he's the highest on on casas um for batting average for home runs for plate appearances for obp 372 he's got about 20 jacks and 589 plate appearances so that's the one i think that's keeping up this aggregator even a lot higher than what it is but um you know that's a pretty good line Pretty good line. Um, in terms of Dahlback, he's, you know, I would, I feel like every time I do deep dives, I end up coming out with really that stuff that, that means nothing, but at least I enjoy the process of getting there, you know? Um, and I feel like even in learning nothing, we can learn something, right? You learn that you learn nothing, <laughs> but you know, you're trying to pick at some like random things, but um, I was looking at some of the heat maps on Dahlback and he's just not really good with four seamers high in the zone um it's interesting because usually like the power hitters in, in that vein can smash that kind of ball you know um his pull ball metrics are declining every year so i don't know if that's just him losing like bat speed or, or, or the pitchers are adjusting to him um he had a 38 contact rate on change up but when he did hit it he battled it up 16 percent of the time so it seemed just like breaking balls versus like right handers is uh his his big pitfall but he plays out like a pretty similar profile in a lot of metrics in ter- uh, to Jorge Soler um, in batted ball data and home run plate appearance. So I just wonder just like if he just needs, you know, time, like is it one of those, um, he could be one of those guys that becomes really valuable on that team that are not good and get just run. He just gets playing time. You know, he just needs, I think, to play and put up his power numbers and he could be a valuable source, but if he's not going to get the everyday PT, he's pretty frustrating to own, you know. But um, yeah. something I've yeah, been I've, really- oh, I yeah. haven't given up on him. Um, uh, not for twenty twenty three, but it might be with another organization. But I just think 
Last year, he was constantly tweaking um, and his his approach. Um, but we've seen the stints before. He's an incredible yeah. athlete. And when he connects, there's a reason he's got that Bobby Barrels uh, nickname. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but it, it might is. not be with the Red Sox. I mean, he was always saving a spot for Casas. It was always going to be Casas as the first baseman of the future. Um, so, again, you know, there's another guy we'll talk about later that I'm certainly more down on that struggled from a prospect perspective. But I can see him going somewhere else in the future um, and, you know, figuring it out, um, you know, uh, but he's, but the reasons you brought up are all valid. Obviously there's some big holes in his swing right now. And it's so, it's so crazy too, because you know, in this game and how fickle this game is and how much it just like slaps us in the face a lot is all it really needs to happen is if Costa struggled enough to where it's, it's like they have to play doll and he's just on a heater, you know, cause he, he could go on a heater and you know how, how quick those things changes and how quick the narrative changes. And then everyone says, I can't believe I gave up on this, you know, but it's just, you know, with human nature, you don't know when these guys are going to rip it one week. And though like ball back could easily just get on one of those benders and he just smashing the ball, you know, and he just gets more PT, but it's interesting. I'm rooting for him. I, um, I like him as a player and uh, he's got the like- Bobby D he's got the Bobby D like me. So, you know, yeah, I think wrong. he's perfect for DCs too. Like ADP since uh, January first, five forty four. Mm, I mean, yep. we've seen what we've seen the upside, right? Like he's he seems like one of those like potentially you know league winning type darts at the end of a DC or fifty. Yep, I agree. I think it was uh, one more thing on Dahlback. It might have been a year ago because there were a lot of people on Bobby D last year at this time of you course. There were some people that were off him. You know, Spora being notable, I think. But there were some people who were definitely on him. And I remember, I think it was MLB.com, probably saying the name wrong, Mike Petrozella, stack guy. Mike, Mike Petriello, yeah. Petriello, there we go. He had an article that literally, you know, and again, with stats, we can always make arguments. But it was an it was an argument for Dahlbeck's profile very close to Aaron Judge when they both came up. And if you read the article, you would have been, you know, obviously very excited about the potentials. So, again, that was 12 months ago. 12 months ago. Right. That's so there is easy. something there. You see? <laughs> you know? Yes. That's the thing. It's he it was such a short time ago where that, you know, that he captured that the possibility could be better. So it's just um, and that's what happens too. We'll all be like, oh, you know, I can't believe we didn't see this, you know. But even though we knew the possibility was there. Um, but yeah, Mike, Mike Petriello writes some good stuff. Um, and I don't know if anyone listened to the Statcast I mentioned podcast, but it's pretty cool. It's like every now and then I like to listen. Um, I think more and more recently too, I've been listening to just baseball podcasts, like just listen to baseball talk, um, trying to keep my brain too, like fresh in my fantasy thoughts, you know, um, and the things I want to do in my head, trying to be, I'm not, I'm not trying to be influenced too much, I guess what I'm saying. But um, last year on his podcast, he was the first one that I think at the, uh, at the close of the year was talking about, they talked about a segment on the, like the filthiest pitches of the league. You know, and he said Felix Bautista and it was October and nobody was talking about him yet. Like, and he was, he just like got the, the filthiest fastball in the league, blah, blah, blah. If, if he could do this, if he gets a shot, like, you know, he's going to have good, solid, you know, um, contribution. And he was right, you know, so it's like interesting where you can get your fantasy, you know, light bulbs. Sometimes it can come in like various sources. You just got to be listening. That's the thing. You have to be listening because that's something, you know, I think we get distracted if we're listening to podcasts and sometimes we'll miss something, you know, you got to be listening all the time. (laughs) 
I felt All like right. I drafted uh, Dahlbeck in like round 12 last year um, in, in the in league. So I went back and looked at the, it, it, this was just the main event, but um, main event ADP of uh, 219. Yeah. Yep. So you, you again, baseball forecaster, which I love. And I know oh, when they do the upside play, oh, it's a 10%, 50 home runs, five zero, right? Yep. Last year. Yep. So, um, Again, there's something there's something there. Um, and again, I'll probably regret it if the Red Sox move him and Bobby Barrels knocks out 41 year. To me, he's like hire one of these private hitting coaches in the winter and figure it out uh, type guy. And I know that's easier said than done. They're all doing stuff. They're all at driveline. Um, but <laughs> there's something there. It's not a wet noodle bat. <laughs> I feel like it's time to make the driveline for fantasy, you know, aspiring fantasy players, you know? We'll put yes. into a rigorous off-season system. We'll <laughs> monitor them and see what their heart rate is. No, nope, no, nope. you got to bring it down a little bit. Before you make this pick, take a couple deep breaths. I'd be off the radar if you tested me during a draft. <laughs> You're like, this guy's tested off the charts. you have the showing this up guy's... before I can make my pick. What's <laughs> your heart rate oh when you have Phil so in your draft? <laughs> oh, that's just fascinating. Um all right, let's move up the middle here. A lot of stuff that's happened. They lose long time. Stallworth up the middle and Mr. Xander Bogart. Um, and then Trevor Story gets hurt and is out for, I don't know, at least until June, July, maybe, probably. Um, obviously, you know, drafting early will get you. And there's a lot of story out there. Um, it's, that's That's the... That's the con of drafting early, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening here. What's going to happen up the middle? Do we expect anything from Story this year, or Jason, do you think they're just going to sit him out? And I guess we'll talk about Christian Arroyo at second, and will they possibly bring in anyone to reinforce up the middle? Yeah, well, we'll take Story first. Um, I do think he'll be back. I know the Bloom comments kind of dampened that, but I think he just didn't want to put pressure on a timeline, you know, especially when it's an elbow and it's surgery. You right. don't want to have him be the savior. But if you, all I can do is look at comparisons. That's all I can do. And this is not Tommy John surgery. Not that it's serious what he had done, but I just go back to the Reese Hoskins one and I know it's a different position, but, you know, I'm hoping it's around July. So I kind of look at him like Bryce Harper, actually. Uh, with that being said, it's not, I, I said this, um, I think on Zach's podcast, it's it's not about the player. I just can't take anybody who's out that long in a 30 round fab league. No chance right. I can take him. But DC, absolutely. I mean, you guys know how shady it gets. I don't know where he's going right now, but how shady it gets around round 40 per se. And, you know, if I keep him for a couple month run, I think that's a solid pick there. Uh, but as far as the current options for infield, they are not done. I am 100% certain there is someone coming in that's not in the organization to play in the middle infield. Um, my preference would be they acquire a shortstop, and it could could be a trade, and I don't know who that player would even be. I know Joey Wendell's name was kicked around, but um, I don't know who that would be. Um, I see Kike. Uh, my hope is he plays second, but he can certainly play short. I think he's pretty good defensively everywhere. Um, I love uh, Christian Arroyo. If he was durable in the past, he would actually come in as a starter. Um, he's a great hitter. I think from a XBA last year, he was top 10 in all of baseball. He just always gets hurt, freak injuries left and right, but he's a really, really, really good hitter, Christian Arroyo. So I think he'll be the backup and play a ton, and it's going to be Kike and uh, somebody else that, again, 
I know there's a lot of there's several free agents, shortstops still out there, the veterans, um, and there's trade potential. But um, Red Sox are probably adding two more players from here. Um, so when I look at roster resource, there's a couple starters that um, you know I just don't think are, are going to be starting when that time comes. And let me, uh, and I'm sorry, one more point on Kike. Yeah. yeah. Um, we all know about the injuries, but the injuries were worse than we even imagined. You know, all we heard was he had this hip strain issue, which uh, he missed 72 games. But that story came out at the end of the year. He had that core issue. He had a hematoma, which is like a blood ball that was the size of mm. a baseball in his abdomen. And he played with it all year. He's much tougher than me, this guy. So again, I just can't dig too much into the numbers last year without thinking that that had a major, major impact. And I'm pissed because I had him a lot last year, as you might expect. And I missed it and we all missed it. It was never on Twitter. It was never on Rotowire. It was never anywhere. But apparently Kevin Euclid in spring training um, told Dave O'Brien during a broadcast that Kike doesn't look right. Looks like something correlated. I heard this at the end of the year uh, twice during a broadcast in Nesson. It was never really reported, but I'm just pissed because I didn't hear that before the drafts, of course. And this is something right. he played through. So interesting to hear that. Um, but again, I think there's another guy coming uh, into the organization. And when story comes back, um, I hope he stays at second. He was so good defensively last year at second. It was incredible. I think he's the best defensive second baseman and without the shift, um, I think he's more valuable than ever. So I, you know, I just hope he stays there. Why put him at short week in a couple positions. So I prefer for them to acquire a shortstop for that reason, but I'm talking as a fan right now. Yep. That makes sense. Brian, what do you think goes up, uh, happens here up the middle? Yeah, I think, um, so I just was checking stories ADP and there's only one draft done over the last week, um, hmm. where, where he kind of fell, you know, to, to where, um, later on, uh, and it was pick 595, which is around 39. So I'm I taking mean, him before uh, that. Yeah. I guess that's what I was thinking. I'm too. taking like him before. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Um, what was everyone doing? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, two, like two months of a guy in that range is, is even if he gets the eight steals, <laughs> it's going right. to be so valuable in, in the dog days of, you know, the DC summers. Um, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I'd have to think I, I, I'm probably safe to go at least 350, 400, maybe 400. Yeah, I'd go sounds, early as 400 good. probably. Like if I felt confident that it was even going to be sooner, like if 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 it gets closer, because, you know, we still have two months before the season starts. So we'll get some updates and maybe there's something that's a little, you know, aggressive and they'll, you know, you'll maybe have to take him earlier. But I'm down for it because it's a talent I think I want. And even if it's two months to play. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I like, you know, and, and Jason, I think summarize it really well for for Kike and uh Arroyo Arroyo especially r really good against left-handed pitching just just crushes lefties you talk about DFS and that dude's like minimum salary basically any anytime he's you know in against a left-hander I'm putting him in um and he's so flexible defensively he played all over the diamond uh only qualifies at uh, uh I believe it's second sorry I was just looking at that yeah second um, but he played 17 games in outfield, 14 at short, 10 at third, nine at first. So, I mean, you know, and, and he's, he's so good at hitting, like he's just really, really good. So lots of like with Arroyo there. And, and I, I think they will acquire someone. I, I'd love to see, 
and I don't know if if uh, if Jason will like this or not, but I'd love to see them get get Elvis Andrews, just veteran guy, solid plays a you know play short every day, and you know I, I'm but, fine with that. I'll yeah. I'll take even Jose Iglesias. I mean, you know, that yes. story went out. I'll take Iglesias. I'll take Andrews. I'll take Joey Wendell. I like him. Obviously, you got to trade a piece to get him. That's not a free yeah. agent as well, but um, I'm comfortable with all of those. But uh, the Red Sox front office does try to be a little tight-lipped now. So, you know, even some of these signings, uh, they've signed a lot of guys in the offseason. Some of these guys, there was nothing, no rumors. So something might surprise us. And uh, like I said, I have no ideas. I read the same stuff you do. We all have heard, uh, you know, Andrews, Iglesias, and Wendell, and a trade for Kim. And who knows if the Padres even want to trade him. So I don't know why that name kind of comes up even anyway. So um, I don't know who it is, but uh, Bloom last night at that Red Sox fan event, um, kind of alluded to a trade, by the way, this wasn't really reported on Rotowire. It was funny, but, uh, and I wasn't at this event, but someone tweeted that, you know, wasn't a fake account. Um, something about a trade that's kind of done, which is shocking because it wasn't a reporter saying it as well, but they've been, if anything, they've been extremely transparent this off season. Here's how many people we plan to get. Here's what positions and they're doing it, whether you like the players or not. So when they say they're going to get a middle infielder, they're going to get a middle infielder. It's not going to be Bogarts. He gone, he's gone, unfortunately, but they're going to get a middle infielder. So, um, you know, I think in the next week, they'll have a new, another player on the team. Um, that we're not thinking of right now. Yeah. Maybe a med Rosario. Good call. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he might be available at some point of the year, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially if their prospects push the, push the envelope on. on Cleveland's got so up. many stud middle infield prospects. They do. Like I yep. could definitely see him and his shifting over short, you know, they had so many stud yeah. prospects that they afford to trade Ernie Clement, right? No, Owen Miller. Sorry. Owen no. Miller. Yep. I, I, I won't throw shade at Ernie Ernie again. Owen Miller. <laughs> no shade on, on Ernie. He's a dud. He's a dud. <laughs> He's a dud. But it, um, pro tip right here. I'm, a, I'm throwing out a pull hitter pro tip. But MLB.com, if you go over to the teams and you can sign up for newsletters for teams right into your mailbox. It's really cool. Um, you can click off as many teams as you want. Uh, I have all 30 teams clicked. And um, usually once a week. They pretty much do a mining the news per se, and uh, it's really good. Right to your mailbox, you can read every single team, and it mentioned that it mentioned that Bloom said without saying his name. It, it, it's almost like the journalist was putting into the like the play the Wendell thing, you know that that's what Bloom has in mind already is is Wendell, and that he has the the you know um with the 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 Rays uh. The Rays bombed, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, that could be interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's he, he's even. Um, I don't think he said this last night, but he's he's talked about it would be great to have a a lefty bat in the middle infield too. So you know, one plus one equals two. So yep. Wendell, you know, obviously seems uh, you know, like a target of theirs or someone like that. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting. But like I said, it's they're very they've been very transparent this off season. Um, yep. in terms of. We need to acquire a bunch of players at these positions, uh, and they're doing it. So more to come. I think there's one to two more moves coming, like I said. Yeah, and Kiki, um, if I just throw it to him, Kiki, I like him at this spot. Um, definitely was hurt last year. He had a th- career 38% ground ball rate um, after he came off the IL. was 48%. He did a hit a ball 109 upon his 
you know, return. So I like that. Didn't barrel up as much, but um, last few years on fly balls, he had a trend going here. Opposite fields went from uh, 46 and a half to 37 to 30 and a half. Shots up the middle went up from 32, six, 38 to 42, four. And his pulled balls are going up to 20 to 25 to 27%. So if you could just shift a little more of the center ones um, into the pole Valley again at Fenway, I think it'll do him good. Um, you know, he had a uh, 21 plus 22. He had a pulled home run to fly ball percentage, 33 to, and 38%. And last year was uh, 18. So um, I like him on a pro plate pans level at the, at the 380 ADP he's at right now. I think, I think he's, he's really solid. Um, I think last year was really, really liked him because he had that lead off locked up too, you know? So I don't know, like you mentioned too, with the lefty, righty, lefty, righty, maybe they just move everyone up and he kind of slips down, but I still think in it, maybe even batting six or something, he could be just more of in a, you know, dr like a driven in mode, just hitting the ball, smacking as hard as he can and driving guys in instead of using that pour on base and forcing, trying to get on, you know? Rasta Resource yeah. has him for the two-hole right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that yeah. happening. I, I think he's definitely six, uh, seven, eight, nine, rather. Um, Yoshida's clearly lead off, and I know it's two lefties in a row, but Devers loves hitting second, and the Red Sox are actually fine with doing that. So um, I don't know how it works out. I mean, I'd be cool with Justin Turner hitting second as well if it's not Devers. But I think Kike is going to be at the bottom of the order. And uh, that's the part, you know, I'm with you, Rob. Last year was, he was cheap. He was lead off. He had a bunch of good hitters behind him. Yeah. Not going to be lead off, but I still think he has value because he's going to play. They, Cora loves him. They clearly need him. He covers a bunch of positions that they need a, a warm body on. So the PT is as safe as possible. He's got a lot to prove. Um, you know, he signed that one year, $10 million extension last year. He would have been a free agent. So um, like I said, the guy, when you think about Kike, he had a baseball sized hematoma in his stomach. And if you yeah. think you can play baseball with that, good for you. <laughs> I think no, there's challenges yep. related to that. Yeah. It, 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 it's nasty. My mom had one after she had thyroid surgery, you know, and it's just in the neck and it's just nasty. They had to drain it and, and it was constant attention. You know, they have to pack gauze in there and then like pull it out, you know, to drain all the blood. It's it, it really not a pleasant situation. And yeah, I, I can't imagine that someone is going to affect, you know, yeah. play center field with that play center, you know? Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. And at 388, a guy who has 21, 17 and 20 homers in his last three full seasons, you know, just really good spot for power. Um, I think if he's looks healthy in spring training, it's probably going to be something that creeps back up. Uh, before we head to the outfield, you said a guy's name before, and I had to bring him up, but you said J.D. Drew, you know, and it triggered something in my head because I remember playing fantasy and like, that's my like, you know, really birth days, the 99, 2000, you know, and he was a rookie because I remember in 99, I was, everyone was on him. You know, he had that brief 41 plate appearance run in 98 with five jacks and 417 everyone this guy's a stud and he was you know he was he was anointed the stud you know and i just remember my my formative years of playing fantasy always feeling let down you know because it was never good enough even though i'm looking at it right now you know 
pretty solid. You know, 2001, his third full season, 27 homers, 13 stolen bases, 323. And yet back in the day, I was like, this guy is, you know, not not good. Um, that was, that that was, was only with... 109 games. Yeah. He did that. Yep. And then, and then, yeah. And then he goes to Atlanta and has a 31 homer, 118 runs, 12 stolen bases, 305 season. Um, and then in Boston, he had some pretty good years too. But just that he stopped running as much, but still, you know, 24 homers, 279, three steals. I mean, that's like what? That's like pick. That's pick 180, 150 in these days. That's that's a good profile. But JD Drew, man, he just he just ignites so many. There's certain names, you know, that ignite memories in my head of my first years of playing any fantasy sports. You know, I remember when we we did our first fantasy football le- league. Garrison Hurst was a rookie. <laughs> I, I don't know how old I was. Whenever Garrison Hurst was a rookie, 13, 14, and he was awesome in college. So I took him first, and my brothers were like. You probably don't want to take this guy who's never played first. I'm like, no, nah, I like him. I know him. <laughs> but uh, JD Drew, man, yeah, he. I got some memories of him. He was underappreciated his whole career. Like his right? player profile, like you said, people were just never satisfied. Number one pick. He had the whole Philly thing. People throwing batteries with the Red Sox. Five <laughs> years, seventy, which looks like a bargain now. But look at his career numbers: stud seventy three. OPS on base machine, low um, K rate, high walk rate. Like in today's game, there's, you know, there's not a dozen guys that have that profile anymore. I, I love hitters like that grinders, but certainly underappreciated for his era. And I think it was more of just the way he played his style. When you watched him, a lot of people, he was incredible defensively too, but a lot of people, he had no um, enthusiasm. He had no personality, whatever mm. as, as a player. So he was very boring people, you know, uh, unintelligent people watch him think he's like not trying. He doesn't care. And, you know, look at the numbers, heck of a career. It, it goes to show you the environment, the run, like the home run environment, just the run environment in general that must've been happening because I mean, his profile, like that several years of OBPs over 400, 414, 436, 412, 408. More walks because, and strikeouts. Uh, the, Almost yeah. well, two seasons, almost three. Yeah, with the you know, with the two eighty five and twenty four homers. I mean, that's Juan Soto. <laughs> He's good in <laughs> my book. I did and, there, and everything changed in 07 because he hit a grand slam against. I'm sorry, the uh, Indians, uh, now Guardians, mm-hmm. game six at Fenway Park as they came back in the ALCS. JD Drew grand slam off Fausto Carmona. So, Fausto, from that yeah. point perspective, Fausto. he's been a legend in my eyes since 07. Yeah, and that's why I love you, Jason, because I can't remember things from yesterday and you pinpoint so many great memories of, of the Red Sox. It was the exact day. <laughs> I wish I wish I had that sometimes. And I, I was just telling my wife the other day, like I I if there was a procedure where I could just delete memory that's stuck in my head that I don't want to remember other things better, like if that was a slider bar that I could adjust, I'd pay money for it. Right. I would. I really would. I really would. Like if someone has that and I could zip it into my body and change it. I mean, I don't want to remember, you know, when I was bullied as a fat kid in school. Like I just want to get rid of that. And I want to remember things now, like things I did yesterday. So anyway, before I get on to another rant, uh, let's talk about the outfield. We recently acquired Mr. Adam Duvall. Um, I kind of like this move. I just think he's 
in in simple laziest terms, he's a good baseball player. You know, I like Adam Duvall. He shows up. He's a hard worker, just a gritty dude. Got some pop in his bat, and he plays some pretty good defense. Um, were you surprised by maybe not a guy to fill center field, but Duvall, Jason? No, I thought the biggest need on offense besides the leadoff hitter was right-handed power. You know, they had a, a bunch of lefties there, so they needed right-handed power. And I'll tell you where I was caught a little bit off guard with the signing, and I love it. More team context is I didn't realize how good defensively he was. I just yep. thought he was big power, big strikeouts, but he is a plus-plus defender on the corners and center field. I mean, Braves were riding him in 2021 to win the World Series, and he kind of rated last year very close to Kike in center field. So, um, you know, defense is obviously critical, especially at Fenway with the uh, intricacies of, uh, you know, the dimensions in the wall. So really like the defense. And um, obviously Fenway looks like a park that's built for him. I mean, we've all seen those overlays. Um, and I get it. He's got the strikeouts. That's not going to change. We know who he is. He's a flawed player, high strikeouts, high barrels, bunch of home runs. But I think he fits very well. I don't, um, I think he's an everyday player, but I do think they'll rest him. I read one article, I think from like a year ago, where um, he was just commented saying he loves playing center field, but when he plays the corners, you know, gets off his feet, it's just better for him. And he's, I think, 34 years old. So, you know, to me, he's going to play like four out of five days, something like that. But um, yeah, I like the move. Yeah, nice. so do I. I really like Duvall. He's a big target of mine in, in the, the deeper drafts. Um, for some of that late power. Um, I was looking at some comparisons because he, he tore a tendon sheath in his wrist and um, trying to find some some comparisons of MLB players who've had that same injury. Um, Aaron Hicks had the same injury in 2021. Um, not the Probably not the best comparison because he's not great and he's a Yankee and we have... <laughs> Let's just not go there. But uh, Mark Teixeira was another one who had the same injury back in 2013, was able to come back um, next year, still hit, you know, 22 homers. And now Teixeira is known for his power. So um, you missed you the know. best comp, though. <laughs> Big Poppy in 2014 had a there you go. I think he did pretty well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Nah, so. he'll be. I'm not worried about that at all. Uh, if you actually see the replay of that injury, it looks like he didn't even get hurt. I don't know if it was at Wrigley or whatever, but he just kind of ran into the wall. It looked like a nonchalant play, but obviously, you know, that's a uh, uh, video speed. He uh, tore the sheath, but um, yeah, no, I think he's a, a nice play. Obviously the average is going to be low. You can't sugarcoat that one. So, you know, it's, it's that classic kind of high power potential and um, low average. It yep. It's funny because in a way it reminds me like, they tr not like a super similar profile, but similar enough, like in Hunter Renfro, you know, um, they had him, right? They traded him for Jackie Bradley Jr. Well, they got Alex Benelis in the trade too. And he, you know, didn't light the world on fire um, in the minors. But um, according to some websites, batted ball metric, he, he's got 90th percentile EV that's um, in the rank 70th percentile. So with, with pretty good swing decision metrics. So, I mean, it's just, I guess, you know, Jason, I think I'll go back to you saying it's just retooling. It's knowing when they can replace a player that's similar and just thinking ahead, like, hey, we, we could replace this guy next year, you know, get a prospect and hopefully we could hit on that too and keep retooling because they're similar players, uh, you know, and both able to play center because I think Renfro played a little center too, right? For the... 
for yeah, the Red Sox? Barely. I mean, he was mainly right field. Um, the main reason the Red Sox got rid of Renfro was his defense, actually. He has that cannon for an arm, which he yeah. loves to show off. And it is prolific, <laughs> but he likes showing it off a little bit too much. And um, just a lot of sloppy plays. I think he's a good player, Renfro. I'm not trying to diss him. And obviously the Red Sox, you know, that trade did not look good, you know, a year from now. But it was they got story in JBJ because the defense was a wreck. They wanted to fix that. So, you know, again, the Red Sox might be right or wrong, but there was a purpose behind those moves. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just panic moves, meaning and, and they do that. I think a lot of fans don't see that as well, though. So um, but no, um, like I said, I was almost caught off guard. I don't pay attention to gold gloves. They mean nothing. Duvall won one in 2021, but um, I just didn't realize like the whole, you know, I think of him as that old slugger strikeout guy. I don't think of those guys playing center field. Yep. Absolutely. Being it's, good. So fun. it's so funny. He said, uh, he's just a guy with the big arm and he, he showed it off too much. That's it, it, like, um, that's like, it's almost like a softball comment. You know, you got a guy in the team that just, he's got a big arm. He's just happy that he throws one guy out every three games and he sucks at the bat, but he just has this arm and that's what he carries around. Like the, I got a big arm swag, but everyone thinks he's a big dud. Otherwise, you know, that's just the memory. Yeah. And he's a big meathead too. And he used to have this like flex move with the gun (laughs) when he threw a guy out. So it was a ton of fun (laughs) watching that. There's even t-shirts made of it. So he was a really fun player. Um, (laughs) And like I said, if if I had that arm as well, I'd be throwing that thing in the stands. This is what (laughs) Vlad Guerrero, the father used to do with his arm. Um, he had the greatest cannon, but he would throw that thing in the stands sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. but no, fun, fun player, but it was a little erratic to say the least. Yeah. Um, I think I do have one Jaron Duran. I think the very first draft we did, Ryan, uh, the, the one I started in August that c- continued at some point. Um, just like I needed depth at outfield. I'm like this guy's got to get another chance to play. Um, but not really good the at Jason defense. Was in that draft too. Yeah, he was. That's right, he was. Yeah, everyone yeah, forgot about that. See, my memory. Yeah, he had the first pick. Fuck. Yeah, anyway. Duran. Um, and that's one. You know, I know I come across as a homer, which uh, I am, but that's one. I I haven't been on him the last couple of years. Um, yeah. Eyeball test. This is something you don't get out of Fangraphs, Steamer, or the Bad X. Both sides of the ball. Horrific things I've seen. Not to say he doesn't have talent. I understand the profile, but. Before before last year started, you know, the prior year, so we're talking 2021, he at one point was struggling and he was making so many adjustments that he was holding his bat with like a one inch gap between his hands. It was as bizarre as you can. That's can weird. Read. You can tell he was <laughs> lost. That scared me. But what's much worse than that and surprising because he's a fast guy, his defense, I've never seen anything like it for a fast guy. He runs the worst routes I've ever seen. He, of course, was the reason Eovaldi gave up four earned runs oh against Happy Grand Slam bounced against the wall. But it's so bad that I don't even care what he does for offense. He's got to fix two sides of his game. So, um, again, I you know, there's other center fielders in the minor league pipeline that are the future. So, I don't know. I mean, clearly he's got talent, and I understand Roto when we look at power speed. You know, <laughs> yeah, we get excited about him, but... <laughs> He is, you know, and what I laugh about like a week ago, I love when people tweet the Red Sox roster resource lineup on Twitter as if the offseason's done. I know they have to plug a guy in. So again, (laughs) I'm not trying to kill the messenger. But when I saw Jaron Duran, up until the Duvall move, Duran was listed as a center fielder. I have a better chance of starting for the Red Sox than Jaron Duran in April, guys. I'm telling you that right now. Okay. So um, 
he's either going to be packaged in a trade as a very low piece like Bobby D or he's starting in Worcester. And apparently kind of one of the root causes of all of this is he's a complete meathead. And um, if you've ever seen his father, his father <laughs> is, you know, a complete meathead as well. And Worcester uh, dimensions, the field that has this sh short porch, almost like a green monster in right field. And it's just a home run haven. And as soon as he met that ballpark, he tried murdering and killing everything. So I think that really screwed him up. You know, the guy's probably pumping iron about 18 uh, hours a day. If you look at him, father's probably about 20 hours, but he just got two home run happy. But there's just so many things that are off right now in his game. So um, I hope I'm wrong. I think you meant meatball more appropriate well, for this. No, podcast. no, it's funny too because you know there's this. I was thinking about this. There's definitely a, a slight distinction in a meatball and a meathead. You know. Um, oh, okay. I used to, yeah. I mean, I think the meat here in Jersey, down the Jersey Shore, the meathead, you know, stamp is 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 feverish. Like everyone's like, oh, this. You can come down here and. Meat, you know, meathead point all all weekend long at the Jersey Shore, and it's it, it, I mean, I was a meathead at one point in my life before I grew up a little bit, you know, but that's it's just the way it is, you know. It's but there's I think meathead and meatball, meathead is probably going to be more of a like, you know, you got maybe that affinity yeah for like taking sauce, you know, hitting the fucking HGH, you know, mm -hmm. that's a little bit of a meathead, you know. Um, almost like a juice head, but you could just make a meat head, you know. Um, and yeah, you just do meatball things on top of being, yeah. That's that's it. Like that's really the tapio homer. Yeah, you know, yeah. Inside so the Parker. The thing, yeah. the thing about the inside, the Parker that really gets me. It wasn't. Listen, every you know, a lot of people lose a ball, but after he noticed he lost it, he made zero attempt to move. Yeah. And fine, right. yeah. Maybe you're not you're not going to get to that ball quicker than the guy who's backing you up. I get it. But like have a reaction that deems you like, oh, just let me do something. Just don't do nothing. I didn't like yeah. <laughs> like you didn't the care optics, that the optics were <laughs> terrible. The reality is he wasn't going to get to it. And that was kind of his case, but the camera angle made it look so bad because you didn't they see did. the guy coming into left field <laughs> to get it. So yeah. it looks yeah. and again, as an Eovaldi owner on a thousand percent of my teams, I mean, how crushing oh is God. those four earned runs? Like that's not fair. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you um have you seen if like any any of those four, you know, caused you any money loss straight? It's like you. No, you I don't. I don't think so. I'm not. Gonna <laughs> you don't want to hold it, that. Uh, yeah, you want to hold that again. I'm sure. I'm sure it did somewhere, Rob. To your point, I mean, you can't tell me someone with yeah, the ability right. that didn't affect something, right? Well, I know. And especially... it's, it's that's the travesty of baseball with the um the scoring system. It'll never change. But plays like that to put that on the pitcher, that's a whole nother podcast. We're, we're not going to get into that, but <laughs> that's insane. Uh, I love it. That's funny. Um. Anyone else in this outfield you want to hit? I guess I just think Alex Ardugo, um, Jason, do you feel like he's got any more path to step forward or just right now he is what he is? And if he is what he is, um, is is he good at being who he is? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think what he I think he is what he is, but there's a little bit more upside. Cora actually kind of called him out in a tactful way at the end of the year, challenged him. He did this a couple of years ago to Devers. He does it to players he likes, almost like a father figure. Uh, Verdugo last year tried to really bulk up and he wants him to be more athletic. And part of that is he's playing right field, which is probably the toughest right field to play in uh, baseball. Um, I will say though, 
you know, Verdugo's home runs are generally pulled and Fenway is brutal for left-handed hitters. Not everybody's big poppy endeavors. So that's the one side of the game where yeah. I think, you know, three, four years ago, we were thinking Doogie could be 20, 25 home run upside. I think he's a 15 home run hitter, but I think the other numbers, obviously bat and average asset are very good. Um, the lefty against lefties, you know, when the Red Sox got him in trade, he kind of had pretty close to even splits, but he has struggled the last couple of years versus um, lefties as well. So little ding there. I think he's a fair price. Um, those, you know, he does those guys with his profile don't really pop off the page for fantasy, but when you have that high average and you look at the valuation, it's a good buy where he goes the way I see it. I like it. One thing that I started to look at a lot in the off season is I take um, zone swing and I minus it by O swing and Z minus O. Um, I know a lot of attention gets spoken to O swing, um, but a uh, fantastic follow on Twitter, Jordan Rosenblum. Um, really, really smart, smart mind. And he, I chatted him about, you know, looking at this because it was a driveline article talking about swing decisions and it was part of their, you know, formula per se. And it's because it's not like just guys that are not chasing, but it's also guys who are aggressively swinging in the zone, right? You want people to swing at the best balls possibly. Um and it's something where he's like league average is about 36.3%, but the best like Kyle Tucker is it, there's a good correlation between that and, and hitting the ball hard, because I think you're just squaring up better balls. That's my theory behind it. At least, you know, you're taking advantage of more pitches that are hittable. Um, and Verdugo is around little below league average. And I feel like with his hit tool and it's not because of the reach, it's because of the don't swing, you know, um, in the second half last year, it was 62%. The league average is almost 67. So you got that hit tool, you know, like put the bat in the swing, swing away, you know, you have it, you know, you got a great hit tool. The more you put the bat in the ball, like Luis Arise, that's why I always think he's got a chance for more power because he does make so much contact that even if he gets a little stronger, lifts a little more, just the amount of time to make contact just gives you more chances to go deep. So I still have a thing for him that I th I think he's a good grab for, you know, it, especially if you could put him on your team as like a outfielder four or five, you know, to just feel like he's, you don't need him to carry your, any part of your team, but if you could just be him and get a little better, you know, it's a good, it's a good little grab. So I still like Verdugo for that reason. Yeah, to me, he's one of those outfielders you plug in your lineup and you never have to take him out unless he's injured. There's a real value in that, having a stable core of players and where he goes, you know, with the outfield when it gets to the, kind of those rounds and later, lots of platoons. So nice, safe, uh, bankable. Um, you know, I think, you know, he's a break-even or a little bit better player in my eyes, um, but I don't think there's a lot of risk with him. Right, break even, because that's the thing, too. Like, not all your picks have to, you know, be home runs. You you need those guys that you get exactly where you drafted the value for, you know? Whatever you expected of them, if you get that math, not every pick, and I think that's a tendency we might fall into as drafters, just thinking that, okay, this has to be the best pick. It just has to be a pick that fits good, you know, and does its job on your team. Uh, stats over player. Um <laughs> All right, what's next here? Pitching? Pitching got some interesting stuff going on. I'd like to hear what you have to think about Chris Thale. Everybody, what do we got here? Yeah, so again, I mentioned earlier, there's pitching depth here. So I think there's a lot of interesting arms with question marks of are they in the starting day uh, rotation, of course. 
Um, here's one that I actually believe on roster resource with their uh, five pitchers, Sale, Kluber, Pavetta, Paxton, and Whitlock. That's how I think it's going to set up for. Um, obviously, the Red Sox are a lot is riding on Chris Sale. It goes without saying. I mean, I'm optimistic about the team, and I think it's going to be way better than anyone thinks, but a lot of that is on Chris Sale. Um, you know, what's again, the, the cons against him, of course, we all know, you know, last three years, 79 and two thirds innings pitched. I'm counting majors and minors, those rehab stints. So three years, he threw 79 innings. Um, but he also lost the feel of his changeup. Um, last couple of years, uh, you know, last year he threw five and two thirds innings, but his changeup was getting smoked. So he's got to get the changeup back. You know, he had the absolute most freak injuries possible. They were not arm injuries recently. His last big injury, of course, is the TJ in 2020. And, you know, I look at him, um, and I know ADP doesn't agree with me, but uh, I look at Tyler Glass now and I look at Chris Sale and I just wonder why they're not going in the same spot because per inning basis, they're fantastic. They're electric. Everyone knows they're great. Um, there's injury concerns, sales completely healthy right now, and they both didn't really pitch last year. So I don't think they're going to, you know, give you the complete volume that you expect to get. Um, as far as the other, uh, the veterans, let's say the Paxton, the Klubers, the Pavettas, um, I'm happy Paxton opted in. I know people laugh when you say James Paxton, they've just completely given up on him, but, um, <laughs> this is a guy who's done it before, you know, HQ, once you own a skill, um, there's zero risk. And I think if you're the Red Sox, I'm not saying he's, you know, in my opinion, maybe the top five guy today, but you have to start him in the year starting, see how it goes, gets hurt, something happens. Okay. You pull up, you know, one of the uh, volume of reserves they have. Um, Kluber, I know that's not an, an exciting name uh, to the masses. Of course, everyone wants star players, but he had a pretty good year under the hood last year with Tampa. He's just one of those crafty pitchers that can survive with his velo, um, you know, declining. And, you know, Kluber does something better than anyone in baseball, doesn't walk people, lowest walk rate in all of Major League Baseball, little bit unlucky last year, but he's consistently good at walk rate, chase rate, and hard hit rate. So, you know, and he's got some other stuff I'm not mentioning on the negative side as well. So I think Kluber is definitely uh, an interesting play this year, even in a, in a fab league, and um, and the investment's going to be so small. And uh, last but not least, Rob, one of your former faves, uh, Nikki P. Nikki P. Um, again, 2021 postseason hero, one of the most fiery guys in there. But last year was very tough. It's mm -hmm. amazing though; he had that almost two month window where it looked like top ten pitcher in the American League, but he Ooh. just rides hot and cold and yeah. he just is very prone to those disaster starts and i think with him it's really tough timing versus matchups it's not about the matchups it's is he hot or cold so very difficult to own but i think in a dc he's a fine play because you put him in if he's hot you take him out if he's cold and you see how it goes he's obviously had these tiny streaks in the past of course um you know he's not a major target of mine as well so um and uh, the other guys, of course, are the kind of the young guys, uh, Bayo and Whitlock and uh, Hauk and Crawford. And this is what people aren't realizing with the Red Sox. There's a lot of interesting options here. And of these, I know Bayo kind of from an upside perspective and who I expect to be the best pitcher years from now. Um, it's obviously Bayo. He's special. But I didn't, you know, I don't know if he's going to be starting the year in those first five. I think Whitlock has had so many kind of bullpen starters that you don't want to really yo-yo him around. I think he's going to start. He's signed a uh, long-term as an extension. So 
I think, you know, Bayo will get the spot. He's clearly one of their best pitchers, but I just don't know if it's going to be the, the start of the year. Um, the real wild card to me is Tanner Houck, who can do both, is incredibly talented, you know, had back surgery last year. Um, I know as much as everybody else here and you guys, um, you know, I would guess that he starts the year in the bullpen. And then on the flip side, we've all read that, you know, maybe he's being dangled in uh, potential trades as well. And I do think if you put him in a deal, you know, he's 27, he's not necessarily a kid. He's ready to roll. I think you would get back a pretty important player. If you put him in a deal, he has some serious value with five years of control. So, um, and then I still believe, and I know the Marlins just traded Pablo Lopez, so I'm not going to say it's with Miami, but the Red Sox are actively trying to trade some of their prospects for a controllable starting pitcher. Um, they don't want to trade prospects for a one-year rental, and I'm glad they don't manage the team that way. So I'm just not going to be, I'm not saying it's the odds on favorite to happen, but I will not be shocked if they trade for a pitcher who's in the starting five. So I think it's very challenging to draft these Red Sox pitchers, knowing the roles of a lot of them. I think the veterans are the safer plays, of course, but the upside plays are the uh, young kids. Yeah, I really like Kluber and and, and Paxton uh, where they're going, especially Paxton, just because he's you know if, even if he gives you 120 innings, he could strike out 150. Um, and and if you get just get those guys to go go five innings, I, I just love what they did with their bullpen this year. Like they significantly improved their pen. You know, obviously added Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, Jolie Rodriguez. Um, so if you can just get, you know, who, whoever's in the rotation to go five and and they got those flexible guys, like, like you said, mentioned Whitlock, Hauk, Crawford, you know, can, can start or come out of the pen. Um, like, I just, I just think like, and you talked about Bayo, I think, I think there's just a lot of options here that can fill kind of the uncertainty that we, we get with the veterans, like, like Kluber, Paxton, Pavetta, like they just have so much depth. And I think you're going to see all these guys, you know, in the rotation at some point, you know, making, making starts. It's just how many is, is the big question, I think. But um, you made a really good point, Jason, about sale uh, and glass. Now I really, I really liked that comparison there. Like, why is he going so much later? Um, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's some potential value here in the starting pitching and, 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 you know, just, the uh, with their bullpen being, being, uh, so much better, John Shriver's really, really good. Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot to like here. Yeah. It has, it has, it has a lot of the Tampa Bay imprint on it. You know, I think of some of the teams, Tampa, maybe when Bloom was around, was you know you had the um the Jake Odorizzi who can do both start and come at, you know out of the pen. You had um what's his name Matt Andreese who was I was so high on for a couple of years. He had this you know high K rate one year. It was just like oh he's taking the next step, but he had, they had so many guys that they would put into the lineup um in and out of pitching different roles um but. Paxton is interesting because I think a lot of people have the tendency to think that you can't just get healthy and throw such a dramatic increase of innings, you know, than than you have in the last, you know, you know, couple of seasons. But at pick five fifty six, you know, when the talent's kind of drying up and you need, you know, he's a kind of perfect pitcher, Paxton, um, where at five pick five fifty six, you you're just you got like some good starters. You like your staff and he's just a high upside pick. He's a talented pitcher. And 
you know, pitchers do, you know, at an older age, increase their pitch load. You know, maybe not if they're hurt the previous season, but all the time, but it's capable of happening. And for Pavetta, I'm going to quote uh, my old carpenter foreman back in the day who said, the best av- the, your best ability is your availability. You know, how how well you swing a hammer or how well you do whatever on the floor, you're available. That's it. People are going to love you no matter what. First and foremost, you know, obviously you can't work like a bag of shit, you know, but if you're just average Joe, but you're always ready to work, it's going to take you far. And Pavetta is rock solid innings pitch wise, you know, and when we're talking about draft champions, we're talking about pick 460. You know, where else are you going to find 180 innings, 175 innings when you need starts, when you need innings? And this is the kind of guys you need around, the guys who are, he's got a secure spot. You know, I don't feel like he's he's going to be the guy that eats up innings, especially if they're in the kind of season where they, Jason, hold the ears, but don't do well. It's, you know, he's going to, they're going to maximize his output for sure. But I do like these other guys that they have in the pitcher. Kluber, again, really good pitcher, came out in a lot of good, um, stuff metrics and still knows how to get the job done. He knows how to get through five innings really well. Um, and then Whitlock and Hauk and, and Cutter Crawford, you know, Cutter Crawford, I, there was a couple of starts last year where I fabbed him and he put up some good numbers, you know? Um, so I like what they're doing here. I really think they're going to piece it as it's going to need to work. Those, the starters can work in, uh, Whitlock and how they could work in dual roles. Jason, you bounce real quick, but um, I was mentioning to Roof, like it, it's it's kind of like has that raise imprint, you know, where these pitchers like Matt Andreezy, Jake Odorizzi, they were guys that were like flexible. They could start, they could relieve, you know. There were these these arms, didn't walk a lot of guys, had a decent K rate and just were able to throw pitches. And um, I just feel like that with with the bridge to the bullpen, Bodes pretty well. I mean, the bullpen's really good, and the the bridge to get there looks laid out pretty good. If they could get a good mix of the veterans, and um, but I really, I really do think that Hauk is obviously the biggest piece to move because it looks like he'll be able to bring back. But like, what would you want back, Jason? If you can get a big tail for him, what would what would bring you back the most value? Think uh a bat, um, another, like an upgrade at the starting pitching, or what do you think is the best route to get if they were to try to get value from Hauk? Yeah. I, again, I'm not saying this team would do it. And this is a name that was thrown out there. Um, you know, when I heard Edward Cabrera's name with Miami, for example, that's the type of guy I would give up a good prospect, not Meyer or Casas. Um, but I would include Hauk in a deal like that. So, mm. Um, maybe I just don't know the context of like shortstops with three years of control and who those guys are, because like I said, I'm not trading him for a rental. No Uh, way. Even if a guy has two years of control, he better be awesome. So it would really have to be someone that knocks your socks off. Uh, I would always prefer, um, I think, you know, the farm system's loaded, but the majority of those guys are offensive players. Uh, So if they could get a controllable pitcher for multiple years, you know, kind of in that Cabrera tier. And I'm not saying how could do it alone, but it's got a lot of value with five years of control. I'd be interested in that. Um, but I'm not going to be upset if they keep him. And I definitely don't want to have him discounted just because he had that surgery like last year. So if there's anybody discounting his value and I'm not, I don't think it's at a low point. I mean, he's been good when he's been on the mound. 
So to me, he still should have a lot of value in the game, but uh, that's the only way I would really probably move him. I totally agree. And like, um, I think you made a good point on the, on, on your in the cut podcast appearance that he, he had back surgery, Hauk, you know, he, he had a legit, you know, and you don't know how long these guys play with that, you know, or, or how it's affecting him. He's just such a um, multi-tooled guy. You know, he could just, the Swiss Army type. He could do so many things. He's he's pretty useful. He's, uh, I just think him and Whitlock are so many roles that they can find a good path to be effective in. And I don't think, I think like right now, whether being drafted 301 for Whitlock, 363 for Hauk, you want starter innings. You know, you don't want to get, um, you know, obviously you can get two inning, you know, middle relievers maybe a little later in the draft. So you're expecting some, some innings pitched here in some length, but um, I also want to hear you t- uh, t- tell the listeners what you spoke about Kenley Jansen last night on the In The Cut podcast. Uh, they asked you if you had any concerns about Kenley Jansen and <laughs> like any even smidge of doubt. I don't, I didn't really have many doubts about him. Um, obviously this dumb, but any smidge I had, you just really just like made me feel a lot more comfortable. So why don't you go ahead and, and yeah, and tell I, us. I, I'll preface it the same way I did last night because I definitely don't want to increase his price because I like him. So uh, Gecko, this is his number one fade in the round he goes, and Gecko knows and has accomplished a heck of a lot more than me. So if you want to listen to me about Kenley, here we go. Um, the skills are pristine still. I mean, you look at the K minus walk, the K rate, it's as good as it's ever been. Uh, he's 35 years old. His velo is as good since it's been in 2014. So what everybody is hemming and hawing about, of course, is uh, the, the, the the pitch time to, you know, he's the poster child for um, being slow to the plate. But there's a lot of players. If you go look at that list of the slowest pitchers, it's very interesting that Kenley's the only one being brought up. There's a lot of relief pitchers that everybody loves that are on that same list, half a second, a second more. Everybody's got to make an adjustment. Who knows how that adjustment's going to go, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal as we think. Part of the reason, and I heard Kenley kind of in the offseason talk about it, why times are so slow for some of these closers is number one, it's a it's a closer, it's a tense situation. But um Batters take a long time to get in the box. So when you look at these 24 seconds, 27 seconds, the batter takes a long time. That's going to be fixed, of course, with the rules as well. Um, and pitchers are just going to have to make adjustments. I mean, I'd like to think, you know, these guys are creatures of routine, of course, that they're going to figure it out. And yeah, there'll be a couple of pitchers that nobody can project that aren't going to get over this struggle or potentially get hurt. But good luck trying to guess that. So, um, and Last but not least, and my favorite part about evaluating a closer like Kenley is the contract. That means so much, guys, in the team context of it, mm-hmm. you know. And I'll say this because, you know, I get accused of, of course, Jason likes it. It's Kenley. He's on the Red Sox. In the Gladiator drafts, before the move, before the move, and there wasn't really many rumors on this, by the way. I heard a Kenley to San Francisco. Maybe Kenley goes to Atlanta. He was my number one owned closer before the move. So don't call me a homer. <laughs> Boom! For He's my man. highest roster closer too. Um, forty percent, forty percent of my teams. So, man, uh, I don't have one yet. Oh, you're missing out, Rob. Failing you guys. I know. I know. Oh, to me, man. he's at that kind of end of like the good tier. Like it's yep. like, you know, there's that elite tier, then the next tier. And then after him, it gets very shady, even in the, you know, 
six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 rounds. Like some of those guys, we can make arguments why they're going to bust. So, you know, and obviously it's a fine line of trying to hang on for the last guy in a tear in a snake draft. So, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be easy to acquire. And in particular, I hate the round where he goes. I think he's, he's worth it, but there's so many great starting pitchers mm-hmm. in those rounds or great shortstops or second yep. basemen. So it is so hard. I am not fixated on him at all because those rounds you got to wait what's in, in store. I mean, I wish I had 10 picks in those rounds. Yeah, that's which, where all the shortstops go. Like every single shortstop goes. Working. Which is the best thing about the auction, <laughs> right, Jason? You can get those guys in that round. Absolutely, <laughs> man. Know, that's, I'm, that's, I'm bringing 280 bucks to that auction this year to get him. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you all. No, seriously, I, I love that about this range. And um, in my auction league last year, I did the same thing. I was just like, there's this great range where, you know, you can't get in your snake draft. Everyone um, so that's why you do multiple drafts. You like because now I need this guy in that range, and you keep drafting more teams to get different build. But yeah, I, I do agree with Jansen being that last guy in that tier. I'm always like, I want to get. I don't want to hope that I get the last guy in that tier, you know. So I'm going earlier for you know um, a Helsley or um, Batista, you know, just so I don't have to be like, oh, okay. And then you hope you get him, and you don't get him, and then you got to race to get clay Holmes, you know it's just and then it becomes at then a point where you just fade it and then it's then you're done you know you're at pick 260 and dylan floros <laughs> your number one closer really quick so there's though those are the decision points and there's so many guys there especially if you're not if you're loading up on hitters all those guys are a lot of teams first go for sp1 you know the bieber the luis castillo gausman javier um, and they're all rising too, by the way, that pitching tier that was like 70 to 85 now. Okay. Now they're 60 to 70. So they're slowly moving up. Um, but the top guys aren't, that's, that's the interesting thing, right? You know, like Cole Strider, the, uh, the Grom, Clanahan, they're not going anywhere. They're staying there and all the other guys are getting closer to them. So it's an interesting shift going. And that's, I think it's a good thing to know. Um, even if you don't have to do a ton of draft, but if you do a couple scattered across, you know, from November on, you can see that market without even looking at ADP. You get into a draft and you're like, oh, these pitchers just went up and you don't have to look at ADP. You can just get involved and see it in real time. And I think you absorb it better that way, you know, being involved with it. Um, but you can get all your Red Sox starters after round 10. I mean, maybe that's the thing. Maybe you just draft this whole pitching staff. You know, yeah. you come away with, you know, the 35 stage that you'll get from Canley and Chris Martin will give you probably six or seven ants, levy saves. So you got 40 saves right there. You're in the middle of the pack in your league and you got great ratios and saves. Uh, and you take all the pitches too. Cause even like Schreiber is such a good stab too for late DC. Great, great ratios. Um, he might pick up some saves as well, but I definitely like this team. There's a bunch of little bargains scattered around for sure. Yeah, Schreiber is the best really pitcher in the bullpen. He is the real deal, Holyfield. That was uh Bloom gets credit for absolutely nothing here, but that was a nice pluck off the uh, you know, I mean Detroit I think basically gave up on him, but uh Schreiber is phenomenal. The you know, when you think of high uh, pressure situations, high leverage, it was unreal last year. The bullpen door opening, bases loaded, sixth inning, no outs, and Schreiber's on the mound and he got out of a lot of those fires. So 
He's got guts. Um, I think he's the real deal. I would have been, I'm thrilled they got Kenley. They put Chris Martin behind him, but I would have totally been fine with if Schreiber was the closer. I didn't think so because of how they used him last year. There was great signs that, you know, he's just that valuable to use him in high leverage, but DC type format, you know, late innings. If you're not, you know, if saves isn't the priority, you like want to nibble on a bunch of them. Um, Schreiber's awesome. I think he's one of the best 10 pitchers in the American league from a relief perspective. Yep. I agree. I love Schreiber. Um, I texted Rob about Schreiber a lot uh, this preseason <laughs> before, even before Kenley signed with the uh, Boston. Um, took him in eight some miles gladiators. His nickname. He's from, uh, I think he's from Detroit actually too. So I don't know how he got it, but eight miles is nickname. Uh, oh, that's, that's great. Fun fact. That's a great nickname. I like him even more now. That's yeah, cool. seriously. Oh man. Those are the things that shoot a guy off my draft board, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm scared. Sometimes your walk-up song might shoot me up your draft board. So I think I'm looking at too much yes, stuff. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. All that matters. Put it on the spreadsheet, right? Walk-up uh, song. Yeah. It, it tells you about a person, you know? Oh, the fabric is what gets them amped up. Oh, that's great. All right. Let's, let's, um, Jason, you're in a draft champion. You're at the end of the draft here. Um, Later round, you want to maybe take a stab at a Boston Red Sox prospect that can maybe give you some value. Again, we're looking at players that maybe I get hyped off of an 18 plate appearance week from a guy drafted in the 43rd week uh, round. I don't know about you guys, but those are the guys that I remember too, you know, that just carry this little part of my season that contributed just what I needed to. But anyone in the Red Sox farm system that you're willing to take a deep stab at? Yeah, I got, I got three names. Um, first thing I'm looking at is, are you on the 40-man roster, right? I'm not mm-hmm. just looking at the top prospect like, like list. How realistic is it that you're going to come up throughout the year? So these aren't necessarily, uh, you know, I mean, some of these guys are well-regarded. These aren't sleeper names. But um, Emmanuel Valdez, let's just start there. Another nice bloom trade. By the way, he's made some good moves if you're paying attention here. Christian Vasquez rental for Emmanuel Valdez. Um plays second, plays third. He actually played every single position last year in the minors, but catcher, shortstop, and center field. His glove is not the reason he's going to be up, though. He's not considered a really good defender, but he's got a a good stick. And I said earlier, Bloom has been quoted saying it would be nice to have a left-handed hitter in the middle of the lineup. Well, this is a left-handed bat. It is not going to happen on opening day. There's no way. I know Ross, the resource, shows him on the bench. He's not going to be starting the year up. But this is the guy that is going to be coming up for them at some point to help out. So DC format, I like Emmanuel Valdez. Um, Another player that kind of really popped up the Red Sox organization last couple of years. um, Doesn't get any fanfare. You never read about him. Brandon Walter, left-handed pitcher. Um, These are just eye-popping numbers to me. And I know there's a lot more to numbers than this. And Rob, you probably deep dive players better than anyone I know the stuff you look at but in double a Portland last year 50 innings 68 strikeouts and three walks let me say that again remember K to walk ratio used to be like something we used to look at 10 years ago like three to one was good 68 strikeouts and three walks he had a severe neck strain that shut him down and affected him towards the very end so he got called up to Worcester And he had this neck strain and he's ready now. He's 26 years old too. So I feel even better about him. This isn't a 20 year old. So um, if he gets on that type of heater that he was on and he was giving them innings at that point, I know it was short stint. His season, I think got shut down in June, but I just think he's a call up in the year, um, Walter. And last but not least, and uh, it's going to get very exciting now, guys, 
Um, and this is not a, you know, we've all heard of this guy. He's been moving up the list, but the last name was not considered one of the top 30 prospects on the Red Sox organization, MLB pipeline last year at this time, but he was a minor league, uh, player of the year. Uh, Sedan is the pronunciation. Let's get this right all year. Sedan Raffaella. Mm-hmm. Um, this, what's fascinating about him is number one, he's on the 40 man roster. He's 22 years old. He is literally an all-world defensive player. This isn't a good defensive player. This is a game changer. Um, Unfortunately, I could not find the article, but there was an article in The Athletic last year I read where some scout made the comment that he's a top three defensive player in all of professional baseball, minors, majors, and he is a center fielder and a shortstop, and he's elite at both of them. Um, I do think his long-term future is center field. It's just such a clear opportunity. Kike's in the final year of his deal, Duvall. Um, and the Red Sox, you know, they were used to having kind of Mookie and JBJ out there with the, the defensive status. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of him. He, he still has some pretty raw, raw tools, though. I don't. Red Sox are not the organization that rushes prospects. So I think this is a kid that if he comes up, it's like in the middle of the summer. I don't think this is an early call-up. I don't think it's kind of in mid-May. Um, uh, another, I'll give you another fun fact. He is from Curacao. Okay. You know, who else is from Curacao, Andrew Jones and Andrelton Simmons. So, uh, I'm talking about all world defensive players, but I think that is something because, you know, that's, what's going to keep you in the lineup when you come up. So, uh, very exciting. Sedan Raffaella. I mean, it's more of a future play, but he should certainly be up this year. I like it. I like it. Well, um, in part of the deal for um, Valdez, did they get another guy like that? How did they get Abreu? Will you Abreu? Same trade. Same, same deal, right? Same deal. And um, I mean, he's a little older for the level he played at, but uh, I think he's going to be 24 this year. He ended the season at double A, but I mean, again, 23 stolen base guy, 15 homers, um, great eye, walked 19% of the time in double a last year at Houston and then 21.4% of the time with, with Boston. Um, so combined, he had 31 stolen bases and 19 homers. Um, again, probably should maybe not, it should be at another level. Um, maybe he did a little too good for how old he is, but it's still an interesting tooled up player, you know? Um, I think they did really good by getting those two guys, as part of that deal, for sure. Yeah, and this and this goes back to Bloom and kind of the, the Tampa thing. No one sees this type of stuff, but think of what we just, we've been talking about. Jake Diekman for Reese McGuire, okay? You got all that control. Player doesn't make any money. Christian Vasquez, you're going to lose him anyway. It's a rental for Abreu um, and Emmanuel Valdez. Like, those are good moves. Like, <laughs> you know, they're building a lot of depth and people just don't see it um, all around the game. So, uh, no, I, I agree with you there. This is something that's helping me do these dives. You know, I'm just going through the teams and it's just really helping me, um, you know, uncover things. Um, and again, just even if it's that awareness of what the GMs and what the teams are doing and the talent that they're bringing in for other guys, it's it's pretty cool. It's a good practice for sure. Hey, like both of you follow Rotowire, uh, James Anderson's top 400 prospects list. Um, Walter jumped up about 150 spots uh, in his latest update. Um, and Raphael has been, you know, right around top 100 prospect uh, since he, you know, debuted on the rankings. So, yeah, um, James brings the fire on the prospects. So, 
Uh, yep. And he seems he's got like he seems like he's got um he's I saw some um in zone and chase metrics on him in the minors and he, he's not good at generating whiff in the zone, but he's like really, really good at getting chases. So he's probably like a like nice crafty lefty, um, you know, a la Andrew Miller. Oh, Andrew Miller. Th- talk about another guy. I mean, what a what a stud, right? We're talking about Roto studs. We want to talk about JD Drew. I do you remember Andrew Miller? Oh man, I just brought him up real quick. Let's go through this one season he had. 2016. Right? I remember this because this was my second Roto season ever. And I drafted at the auction table. I drafted Andrew Miller, Chapman. I drafted all these. Um, and who was the other reliever on the Yankees that had three? I drafted all three of them, and they all ended up the closer that year, but on separate teams. Um, but in 2016, he had 74 innings, 10 wins, 12 saves, and 123 strikeouts with a 1.45 ERA and a .69 whip. 41 and a half K to walk. One of the best seasons. That's what you're thinking of. Oh my God. Just what a season, right? I mean, that would be where would this line be <laughs> drafted right now? You know? Second round with with the Diaz yeah. and Class A, right? I mean, just I, pretty much. <laughs> I, I think it would. And actually his history is interesting and it ties to the Red Sox as well, because the yep. Red Sox picked him up for nothing and moved him to the bullpen. And he got really good at the end. And then they flipped him for Erod to Baltimore. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, first round pick um, had all the potential in the world, of course. But um, yeah, we, we almost forget how great he was in the bullpen and what a weapon. The way Cleveland was using him for multi innings, like it was, you know, it was it almost feels like what Hader like several years ago, the way he was being used, like just, you know, forget starting pitching like this is one of the biggest weapons in baseball. So, uh, yeah, really good career. Absolutely. I love digging back in this stuff. It really, you know, because we're so forward thinking and it's good to reflect. It's good to go back and look at these guys that, you know, that have been part of our team and our, our strategies, you know, and uh, it's good. Maybe we should just do a whole segment of looking back, just talking about like our for, like former players that, you know, just do like um, and maybe even like have a draft of it where Did they go now. Yeah. Right. Like or like, you know, the top of the draft is always, you know, the 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 memories of having the Mike Trout years and stuff like that. And then as it gets deeper in the draft, we're picking guys like this, like Andrew Miller. Remember the season Andrew Miller had? Oh, man, it'd be a good little conversation. We invite like a couple guys on. Everyone talks about a player, random player that um, I like unearthing these great season i'm just i'm gonna go with again uh, i know you're talking about the 40 men and it's definitely a huge huge part of the situation this guy hasn't been drafted at all in draft champions but his name is nico cavadas he's 24 um he's a little old for his level too and probably didn't perform well enough for the level when he got up to double a but um he's a left-handed first baseman great patience you know, I'll quote my good friend Ryan Bonancio and say, hits the shit out of the ball. Cause that's his, that's when you know too that Ryan loves a guy. If he says, hits the shit out of the ball or hits the living shit out of the ball, that, that's like Ryan V's marker for this guy's a stud. Um, but, and it's interesting too because their minor league um, depth at first base, you know, he's at the top of it. Um, so it's a, it's a long shot, but, He's got real power. Um, 
and he could make uh, a difference in, in your power department. Um, maybe again, not being drafted at all. So he's a, he's like a huge contrarian play. Sometimes in the draft champions, you know, maybe that's what separates you to win a league, even if it doesn't have to be for an overall. But um, I'm thinking he might get a sneaky late season run. I think he's going to smash this year. He'll make adjustments, and he's going to be um, a September call-up special for your draft champions. Going with it and being bold. I, I like it. I, I'm actually shocked kind of on the – you know, team ranking list, how low he is. His numbers just, I mean, on base monster, huge yeah. power. Um, and he's, you know, he's he's old for his age, which is good, right? From our perspective, if we're looking for short-term gains. So um, I love the play. That'd be very exciting. Again, I kind of have him out of the radar because I have other guys this year. But, you know, if we were talking next year, I think we'll be talking about Nico the Greek mashing at Fenway. Yeah, baby. I love it. Um yeah, so this is good. This is this was a good breakdown of the Red Sox. Um, I'm enjoying this whole little series that we're doing, Ryan. I think we're hitting a lot of good stuff and we're unearthing some, you know, possible deep plays. because uh, I think we're hearing, you know, you hear it, um everyone knows it's at the top of the draft. So this is good. This is good talking about the decision point you may have to make later on in the draft. Especially if you're doing a fast draft champions, you know, you really have to know <laughs> all these guys. Maybe not as in depth, but you know, that's why you listen to this and you'll hear it. But um, it's you need to make those quick decisions because in a fast draft champions, when you're making all your picks in one night, in the 35th, 36 rounds, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get toasted. But, um, no, Ryan, you got to run, buddy. Thanks for thanks for coming in. Thanks to Jason for, yeah. for his time and all his Red Sox knowledge. I feel really comfortable with uh it seems like there's a lot of value waiting drafts with with some red sox players um, yeah a lot of potential value opportunities here so thanks to jason for coming on and, and helping us out with this one no thank thank you guys and uh thank you ryan you've been uh one of my go-to listens i think uh you're one of the handful of people i really trust when it comes to bullpen talk like the way you break things down so uh thank, thank you. you for your help throughout the off season as well but uh yeah, always fun talking Red Sox with you guys. Um, you know, again, hopefully we didn't pump up the value of uh, any Red Sox players. I go back to two, three weeks ago. What I loved was the tweets about, I got to move Devers down. He's got no protection around him. Move Devers down. Keep moving him down. He's got no one around him, okay? <laughs> do what you got to do to make you sleep at night. Whatever exactly. makes you feel better. Take, take Austin Riley in front of him. Take Machado. Take all those guys, right? Take a pitcher instead of him. There's nobody around him. He has nobody to drive in. It's a it's a chaotic scene in Boston. <laughs> the worst team ever assembled. Exactly. Last place. Baltimore's better. John Henry's cheap. He should sell the team. He's into soccer and the Penguins. It's all over. Absolutely. Unreal. But yeah, Jason, thank you. Always, you're the great guest. You're a great listen. Um, I always say you're one of the persons that I met that you in, like. You instantly like, oh, I like this person. You know, within ten seconds, you you just know. I don't know if you have that feeling about people, but when I meet people, um, I'm a I'm a quick. I make blink instincts. You know, blink blink decisions in my head, and I just have this feeling about people and i remember when i met you i was like immediately like i like this i was drawn you you were smiling you were laughing and that's that's life right i mean that's what you got to do right 
You only got one life to live. You got to fucking be happy and not be a bag of shit. <laughs> Absolutely, man. No, I feel the same about you, man. I can certainly judge a book by the uh, cover very early. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> as yep. well. And uh, you saw me at my peak, which is during a live event as well. So uh, <laughs> we'll be doing that again soon in uh, New York and Vegas, of course. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Thanks for coming in, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Pole Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D., the Dead Pole Hitter. Catch me on Twitter at Dead Pole Hitter. The Pole Hitter Podcast page is at Pole Hitter Pod. Email for contact is in the show notes. You can contact me any way you want. It's been great interacting with so many of you, talking about fantasy baseball, talking about life, how to make each other better in both arenas in all aspects of life, and it's really great. Really gotten to know so many of you on another level, and it's really cool. So many like-minded people out there, so many good people out there, even though the, the world is filled with bags of shit. So you have to navigate around those, but it's um, been really great. Thanks to Ryan Roof, who's been helping me out in these Team Breakdown pods. Find him on Twitter at Ryan Roof, that's R-U-F-E, and his work can be found on rotowire.com where he handles the closer grid. And... Special thanks too to Jason DuPont for coming out and spending some time with us talking about the Red Sox and fantasy baseball. Hope everyone is cracking down on their fantasy baseball right now. This is the time to put in the work to make sure that when the drafts come, you are ready to be on top of it. And stay tuned for some big news. I'm going to be doing some big things this year and pretty excited to lay it all out for you guys. Um, So, yeah. Don't be a bag of shit.